Yeah, hi. So I'm Connor Costic. Thanks for inviting me uh, onto this podcast. Um, I'm based in Dublin, in Ireland, um, where I'm mostly a uh, writer, really, and um, some editing. But I think what uh, drew your attention to uh, me for this topic, Ben, was that for a while I was writing um, uh, reviews for the Journal of Music in Ireland. And what I was reviewing was world premieres of of new music and this was really quite challenging you know how do you know if if something's any good and uh, whether you're going to pin your colors to the mask a uh, mask of right this is great or oh, this one sucks you know it's a big responsibility and so i came to adorno as being really a guide to help me in a practical way um people find adorno in different ways but for me it was oh here's somebody who's who's got the conceptual tools one needs to grapple with listening to music for the first time it's ever been heard and being able to say something about it. Well, I'm Andy Wilson. Again, thanks for inviting me onto this podcast. Um, I suppose in terms of my background, I, I got involved in activist politics. And at that point, um, I founded a cultural journal, which led to all kinds of political conflict and whatever. But uh, Adorno was one of the characters who motivated um, that that move. Uh, more recently, I've been I'm an I'm an independent scholar, uh, but I've been I've run a publishing company, and a group called the Association of Musical Marxists, which had as its publishing company Uncant, and we published um, a couple of things on on Adorno. Um, again, was a major concern for us. Is you know we, a lot of our practice and a lot of our insights were based on uh, as kind of Adorno point of view, I guess. Uh, since then, I've also published on music. I've published a book about uh, rock music, specifically about the uh, the German band Faust, uh, and also a book about the uh, Romanian spectralist composers uh, Yanku Dumitrescu and Anna Maria Avram. Uh, well, actually, I edited a, a collection about about them. Um, yeah, and that's it, really. Um, but I, again, I've had a pretty much a lifelong interest in the works of Adorno. Let's start with the man himself. Who was Theodore Adorno? Uh, he's a German intellectual, and he lived in a through the the huge calamity of, of the rise of Hitler. Um, so he's he's born in nineteen oh three, and showed a talent and aptitude for music. So he, you know, developed um, the skills of a musician, a pianist. And a composer, um, but I think he was always engaged with um, thinking about philosophy and the the um, arguments around music. So he had a you know a multiple of uh, uh, his education was not just in uh, performing music, but it was also in philosophy and sociology. Just you know, he had um, the tools of a sociologist when it came to unpicking. Um, new cultural uh, events and and you know looking over his life he 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 met all the key figures of his age um you know like schoenberg he, he became friends with he, he didn't become friends with schoenberg but he did become friends with berg the composer um walter benjamin um and uh exiled by the rise of the nazis he kind of got lucky because he 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 was picked on at a time when you could still get out of Germany, whereas 
Benjamin, when he tried to escape, uh, wasn't able to make it, and many others, of course. So he's exiled um, in the run-up to the, the Second World War, and he, he after going to Oxford, he go, ends up in um, New York and then across to California, where, again, he's, he meets a lot of really interesting figures, including Charlie Chaplin. Um, and um, finally comes back to uh, Germany to... Uh, academic position in Frankfurt where he does a, a lot of his, his key writing and teaching takes place there. And Andy, is there anything you want to add on? No, as a history of Adorno, I think that, 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 that was as good as any. And I think it's worth adding about Adorno reception, that he's just a massive influence on a generation of Marxist aunt and Marxist intellectuals, of activists and so on. Um, I met him in practical politics when he was actually anathema on the activist left, uh, principally because of his writings on jazz and things like that, was said that he didn't understand popular culture, which made him very much, uh, with it, well, certainly in the circles I moved in, I can't say they were representative, but he was very much um, um, a, a bit of a bogeyman, actually. Of course, in, and, and, and these days, of course, he's very much to the fore again, uh, in the sense that the right uh, attack on cultural Marxism is often predicated, rightly or wrongly, around the cultural critique of the Frankfurt School, of which Adorno with Horkheimer was obviously the head. And so let's transition now from the man to his ideas and work. And Connor, this is where I ha I'll have you read for us, if you will, um, an excerpt of a piece you wrote on Adorno in the Journal of Music. At the core of Adorno's philosophy of music is the idea that modernism, in the form of the compositions of Schoenberg, Webern and Boulez, represents a break in serious music that has to be championed both against the music of the past and that of the present, which was succumbing to the destructive features of modern society. Adorno believed that the heroic age of music was the decade 1910 to 1920, before which limits were set on the profundity of compositions by the contradictions of early bourgeois culture, and after which the culture industry had worked its destructive charms. Thank you for reading that in particular, and I think it's it's sort of representative of a lot of his thoughts. So let's start to parse it out. And more broadly, I want you to both, in your own way, walk us through the connection between, and I know this is a big question, but between Adorno, music, and leftist thought. So Connor again. So um, so this this this. Uh... I think he was influenced by someone who I'm not a great fan of, and I don't think Andy is either, which is, which is Georgi Lukács. Um, but Lukács uh, had one reasonably uh, creditable argument, uh, many that weren't, but the idea that the bourgeoisie had a kind of heyday in which it could look at the world in relatively clear terms and admit to itself what the world looked like in such a way as to produce artists um, who who sort of grasp the totality. Lukács argues this is possible in the novel up to, um, I don't know what date he puts on it, but let's say mid-19th century, but after which they go into decline because they, they daren't own up to the harmfulness of the society they've created. And I think this has influenced Adorno here. Um, 
And whether or not this connection with Lukash is, is a valid one, I think Adorno's argument is valid. And, and what his argument is, is that the um, we, we live in an age of horrors, of absolute horrors, you know, and, and not just the, the, the uh, rise of fascism and the concentration camps, which is, which is unutterably grim, but just even daily life, just, just simple daily life. We're humans evolved to to spend hours and hours doing work that they they don't care for that someone else is taking their uh their labor from them to rush home you know consume a bit of um of of x factor and uh go to bed ready to do the same the next day you know that's that's a grim and bleak existence and and it's not something humans seem to have done for most of our existence i've just been reading this fantastic book uh, by wenger and graber all about the rich variety of, of um, you know, pre, uh, well, Neolithic societies, you know, thousands of years of rich livings of, of uh, you know, other ways of living. So anyway, modern capitalism is creating a, a bleak landscape and therefore music that doesn't engage with that is going to be inadequate for us all. You know, there's only so much easy listening that it's only going to touch our souls to a limited extent to really really touch into our souls we're gonna we want music that speaks of everything uh unashamedly and the bourgeoisie is is incapable of doing that it's you know they they've made them the world the way it is they they shy away from this so them and their hangers on basically aren't going to do it and the he doesn't actually explicitly say that he's getting this from Marx, but but Adorno, I think, is drawing very heavily on Marx's idea of alienation, of commodity fetishism, of a world dominated by things instead of human values. And um, to break through that uh, takes something really special in the world of music. And what, it, you know, so that's one big big uh, arguments as to why 1910, 1920 is so special that it's, it's, there's no point trying to recreate the romantic uh, era because it doesn't fit our experience. And the other big argument is around the culture industry itself. So who takes hold of music? Who actually, who actually produces music under what circumstances? And he's brilliant. I mean, he was really great at, um, and, and and a joy to read. I know. I know he can come. He can be quite heavy to read. Anyone listening to this podcast who rushes off to Adorno is going to find some pretty pretty dense uh, writing at times. But at other times, just brilliant, insightful writing. And he's really at his best for me, anyway, when he's um, critiquing the way music is is made for um, to make money. So it's not about uh, touching our souls anymore. It's it's about becoming a commodity and how does it get packaged how does it get served to us what does that do to our heads um it, well it, it fills our heads with absolute rubbish when it comes to music and it's really really hard to escape that so the little jingle or the catchy excerpt that just runs around your head all day i mean every single night i i dream music and um i'm often i i one of the first things i do when i wake up is is deliberately try and catch what was it in my head, the music of the night. And sometimes it's actually quite good, but often it, it isn't, you know. Um, but that's that's running through our heads. So then you meet some new music. How are you going to respond to it? And the answer is, you're probably going to hate it 
because you've not really been equipped to listen to it. And, you know, here I'm going to pass to Andy because for me, getting into um, music has been like going through layers of a sphere, getting deeper and deeper. And each time I think I've arrived somewhere, you know, okay, now I know what good music is. Oh, I have to go on to another layer because, in fact, this isn't actually that good. And Andy's nearly always the person who's pushed me on past my love of Genesis. And yes, actually, I never really loved Genesis. Um, but, um, you know, <laughs> into, into far more edgy stuff. Yes, please, Andy, pick up on, um, pick up on that, if you will. Yeah, and Andy here. Um, I, do, I mean, Connor's done an excellent over, overview anyway, but at the risk of repeating, I think there are the two points he highlighted are the two key things. One is arguably from Lukash or thereabouts is the idea that the ruling class rule because they rule you know, into alien because they rule ideologically, they rule our minds, which puts um, once you arrive at that view, uh, that puts culture uh, much closer at the centre of, of the struggle for a different society. And therefore, there's a war going on in culture. And that's a, you know, a, a huge part of Adorno's view. Uh, the second part of it, I would say, is um, really quite straightforwardly, uh, almost boringly orthodox Marxist, surprisingly for Adorno, which is that um, his belief is that the bourgeoisie act as a break on the further development of the techniques of communication uh, in art in, uh, and, in, and in music. Uh, therefore, the, you know, the bourgeoisie a break on the development, if I say of technique, that makes it sound really dully functional and things like that, but they're really talking about communication. Um, how do we, and how do musicians push forward the mode of communication? How do they articulate something that isn't just repeating the, the, the cogs and wheels of the cultural industry? Um, um, and that's a key task for Adorno. So therefore it's, it's, it's one of the reasons he sees serialism as so vitally important, uh, allowing the articulation of a, of a whole new uh, musical world view. Um, um, I think music, I'm, in a sense, I'm only going to repeat what I've just said about Adorno's view. I find music absolutely fascinating. One of my key insights, if you like, when I was a political activist was that if I spoke to other activists about political issues, um, I knew what they would say. I mean, again, I might be speaking slightly to my own milieu here, but the example I used to give was, I would, you know, if you said to someone on the left, they were always having these meetings, should the troops get out of Ireland. And uh, everybody knew that the answer was yes. We'd have these meetings, should the troops get out of Ireland? Yes, the troops should get out of Ireland. You could, everybody in the room, you know, if you spoke to them, you knew what they would say about Ireland, developing on the, you know, it might depend on the degree of their experience and knowledge. They might have a very sophisticated justification for their position or, or a less sophisticated one, but they had pretty much the same view. Um, however, were you to go in the pub with them afterwards and say, well, OK, well, you know, what do you think about Madonna's new record? Is she really helping liberate women in what she does? Bang! You know, you've got this huge argument in which people are um, much more exposed in a way because they make aesthetic judgments which are exposing, you know, of themselves. But they've got this um, uh, dogma that they can hang that view on. So they, they desperately, you know, try and cling to some kind of dogma that will justify their view on Madonna, but in short, all of a sudden you're having a really hot argument that engages with the deep feelings that people have as they experience music and really brings a political argument to life and gives it content in a way that's really difficult in the sort of repressed routines of the left 
um, which are about the repetition of, you know, the rote repetition of, their, of various kinds of views. I don't, I don't know, I don't care. But for me, it meant that culture was really where the debate was happening on the left and really, in a sense, was the soft underbelly of the left. Uh, you have a look at what the left thought about culture and you really learn far more about, about, about them than uh, they perhaps wanted you to, to know. <laughs> and wrapping up with this final question, what would Adorno make of today's musical landscape? Yeah, I mean, I'm laughing because, you know, what would Adorno think about a topic? I mean, you know, it's not, I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I, you know, I love reading Adorno because it is it's, it's such insight, but also such depth of engagement with the material in a really normal, in a really uh, orthogonal way. You know, he comes at the material from, uh, from a way that's constantly surprising and he's quite the analyst you know he'll dig away and he'll, he'll bring out psychoanalytical points uh, and so on and so forth so to try and um second guess what he would think I, I don't know but overall um you know if Adorno were to think what I thought what he would think <laughs> no, you know would, um, would would be his nothing has fundamentally changed with the culture industry the culture industry hasn't changed its role in the scheme of things Arguably, you know, it's our relationship to it is much, uh, much more dense uh, and, and, and implicated than it used than it used to be. Much more intense, in a way. Uh, I don't see that there's anything that he would say about conservatory or academic or however you want to call it that that kind of music. I think, you know, his view of its development still stands. Uh, I think he would see a lot of the actual product of that of that industry. Um, as extremely regressive in recent uh, decades, far back as I can remember, actually, certainly back to the 70s. I mean, in my view, I mean, um, I'd love to have seen what he would have written about the, the, the kind of minimalism that, that dominated that sort of music for a long time. And in many ways, part of its resurgence of its marketability, when all of a sudden the, the, the comp many composers went back to this, well, I don't know, I would have to describe it. Uh, but retreated into what I think was a deeply regressive position. And then, of course, there have been, um, you know, composers heading in a very different direction, the new complexity and, and things like that. Uh, I have a special interest in a, a, a small school of composers uh, to, do with, to do with spectralism, um, of which is really a French school. Uh, but I'm much more interested in the, it's, it's Romanian um, um, devotees, um, yeah, examples. I think he would have found that fascinating way to further develop beyond serialism um, and intent, uh, an intention, different kind of engagement with musical uh, material. I suppose more interestingly, in a way, what would he say about? Or I would hope more interestingly would be the question of what he would say about the development of uh, strands within the the <clears throat> um, cultural industry itself. Um, specifically jazz, which is one of the pretexts for our discussion here. He famously uh, was very mean about jazz music uh, in his uh, essay from uh, mid-30s anyway. Um, and that has been a bit of a shibboleth on the left uh, in the way, in the reception of Adorno. What do you think about what Adorno says about jazz? Um, and it's quite, uh, to me, hilarious, actually, because I've had endless, you know, numbers of people say to me, well, it was absolutely terrible on the question of jazz. He really didn't like it. Then you say to them, well, 
okay, who are your favourite jazz musicians? Well, I don't really like jazz myself, you know. So what the fuck was, you know, what is, what is this great sin? But we can get into that, the, the specifics. Um, but of course, the the real hot topic there would be what has happened to jazz since Adorno wrote, because when people talk about uh, jazz, uh, Adorno's views on jazz, they forget that at the time he was talking, I, mean, I, had, a, I had a look uh, in preparation for this meeting, so what were the big jazz hits of the early 1930s, you know, Adorno's era? Uh, and there's some nice things in that actually, but you know, Someday My Prince Will Come, so it was a big jazz hit. Uh, it's only a paper move. talking about bebop here we're talking <laughs> you know in dismissing this he was dismissing i'm not this is not to justify his position entirely although i am extremely i think i think the gist of it is 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 you know can be justified um but on the other hand you know there were some there was interesting music in the charts uh, yeah. in his time so i know that um the the the, the classic recording of caravan by duke ellington is, is is from certainly before um before Adorno was writing on jazz, and certainly he was aware of Duke Ellington. So you can plausibly say that is, you know, there's something amiss there. But at the same time, if you read his essay on jazz, he's extremely insightful as to what is progressive in jazz. He's very specific about, you know, at the core of its progressive power is the way that, I mean, he specifically talks about the role of the arranger um, in the, in in the you know the production of jazz music in the industry at that time. Um, but, you know, you can easily generalise from that to talk about the way that jazz itself developed uh, after uh, Adorno, well, you know, after Adorno's essay. Uh, and, of course, the emergence of a completely different kind of jazz, which I personally, I would see the development of jazz out of blues as the major art form, musical art form of the 20th century, really, its greatest achievement. Um, was Adorno capable of recognising that? I, I believe so, but of course it's something we can argue about. To we, we, we ourselves are dead. But, you know. <laughs> right, of course. And Connor, I'll give you the last word then. What would... Well, there's, there's, there's so much there. You know, you could double the length of this podcast just um, interacting over this, what Andy was saying. I did the same as him, actually. So in preparation for the podcast, I, I went on to listen to the, the jazz music of the thir early 30s. I did exactly the same. And I found that Adorno was right. He was right about them all. Um, they were, you know, in other words, they they allowed a sort of frisson of, of um, avant-gardism, but were perfectly safe. The, the stuff I was listening to was just, it, you know, it's, it was fine, it was dance music, but it wasn't John Coltrane. He mm -hmm. wasn't talking about that at all. You know, he was, he was just talking about these kind of, kind of dancey sort of, um glenn miller-esque stuff you know and and I, and he was absolutely right about that i also felt he was right to demolish the myth that there was something um primal and african and authentically african about this uh music um you know it's been mediated insofar as it's has roots in africa and it's been mediated by slave society modernity all sorts of other features of american culture and it's you know th that kind of 
mystique is is a branding uh, effort only you know um and i think he's i think he was right about that um yeah i wonder what he'd he'd make of of our times and um you know i like i say i was trying to use him in a practical way so i would see a lot of these world premieres and i got so bored of compositions where the composers tried to escape uh the limits of tonality by retuning their instrument or ordering a pizza in the middle of the composition and having it arrive, uh, you know, the performance and all this kind of gimmicky stuff. None of it spoke to me. Um, and I think that the that that's all a dead end. But I think uh, Andy's right to say that Adorno was very receptive to ways out of tonality that did not necessarily involve serialism. You know, he's seen as a big champion of, of serial composition, but in fact, he, he, he also developed a criticism of it. And... He would, he would, for example, be quite enthusiastic about John Cage, simply because Cage is, is listening and listening to ambience as well as music. And so and I think any composer today who was, you know, seriously using their ears and um, composing with, you know, even using bits of tonality, you know, it's not a, I don't think Adorno was so locked into any particular a system of thought that he would have cut himself off from something that was really great which brings me to my last point right we're we're, we're making this podcast uh when the uh documentary let it be has been released of you know seven hours of the beatles mm. what would he i mean he, he he was just about a contemporary with paul mccartney when did he die 68 but i'm 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 just full of Paul McCartney right now, you know, having watched all this. I, I'm just, I just think he's fantastic he's, mm. as a person, but uh, uh, as a songwriter. Now, this is way off, way off the sort of thing Adorno would be positive about. It's very much close to the culture industry. And yet um, there's something really beautiful and moving about, about it, about the four of them uh, working together producing these songs there's something marvelous about it and i would wonder what what he would say and like andy says he's you know when you ask us well what would he say it's really hard to know because he's very unpredictable he you know and he comes at things um with conceptual tools that are, are really uh, deep powerful sophisticated and it means that it, you know inside of something that you think and very dialectical i mean really that's his, perhaps his biggest conceptual tool is, is hegel so everything everything he questions and he self-reflects on it and i'd like to think that he would watch that documentary and he'd say yes there's something valuable in that something very special picturing adorno watching the beatles documentary <laughs> I, 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 yeah it's hard to imagine I, I think i mean you know i really want to leave it open as to what adorno would think about anything but i find that difficult i don't think <laughs> I, I find that difficult to imagine for sure um, but I think one thing we ought to add, though, is that Adorno is just the radicalism of his views. Everybody likes John Cage now. It literally means nothing. If you buy The Wire, you know, anybody who reads The Wire likes John Cage. That's the end of it. People forget just how radical the, uh, Adorno's views were at the time. When he was defending Samuel Beckett, other people weren't defending Samuel Beckett. And really, time and again, you know, he saw the future of art um, because of his understanding of art. I think one of the problems with discussing him though is just that um, it's really easy to, to, to present him as sort of saying that, you know, everything that pop musicians do, that's the culture industry. 
And then there's this other music, which isn't the culture industry. The other music is the culture industry as well. The selling of classical music, you know, the whole thing, you know, you know, play, I don't know, Mozart to your children, they'll be more intelligent. It's just ideology in a can. I mean, it literally is at the heart of the ideology of music. And similarly, you know, jazz isn't the culture industry. The culture industry absorbs jazz and resells it. But at the heart of jazz, we're improvising uh, musicians. And I think, you know, Adorno would have, I think, found it extremely interesting that when you talk about, for example, for example, Dumitrescu, when he's rehearsing musicians, if he takes young conservatory musicians, they are going to have real problems playing his music because it depends on the ability to reliably reproduce microtonalities that they are not taught to do. Boulez discovered this with his microtonal tuning systems. He had real difficulty in getting those musicians to play. But the people who can play it are like the Hyperion Ensemble, which Dumitrescu has trained over many years, starting with young musicians. They can play this music just as Sunrise Orchestra could play his music because they play together the way that rock groups do. The model of a rock group, actually, is, is a potential model for, for creating an environment for that kind of improvisation that, that uh, Adorno saw as at the cutting edge of music. So, I, you know, hopefully all of those things would have occurred to him. Right, of course. Um, this was such a rich conversation. Thank you to you both. I'm going to stop the recording. But it wouldn't be make-believe if you'd be